Welcome to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. I'm Alexis Christophorus. There are signs that America's white-hot jobs engine may be starting to slow down. The government says the economy added just 20,000 jobs in February. That is the weakest in nearly a year and a half. Investors were actually expecting a gain of 180,000 jobs. The unemployment rate, meantime, fell to 3.8 percent, its lowest level in nearly half a century. What does this mean for Wall Street? What does it mean for our economy? Here to help us break it all down is Omer Sharif of Societe Generale. Thanks so much for being with us on this podcast. Thank you. First off, explain for people who who see, okay, we added just 20,000 jobs, but the unemployment rate fell to 3.8%. That doesn't seem to jive. How does that happen? Yeah, so I think the important thing to note here is that those numbers come from two totally different surveys. So they can actually move in different directions. So even though we added 20,000 jobs, How does the unemployment rate fall by two-tenths? Well, it's coming from a different survey of households. So these numbers don't necessarily always move in sync. Uh, But, you know, I think the important thing to note here is that we have been adding around 185,000 jobs per month for the last three months. And these data do tend to be volatile from one month to the next. So I would pay far less attention to the plus 20,000 that we did and how disappointing that was. And I would focus more on the recent trends. And the trends are still very good in terms of the U.S. labor market. Well, let's talk about some of those positive trends. What do you see as, as, as uh, highlights or things we can sort of glom onto in this report? Yeah, so I think the first one has to be the wage numbers. Uh, I mean, I think everyone has been waiting and waiting and waiting for wage numbers to really tick up. And we just hit a brand new cycle high, 3.4% year-over-year growth in wages. Uh, that was uh, you know, higher than the, the new record we set a couple of months ago at 3.3. So we're moving in the right direction. And I think more importantly, it had been such a gradual drift higher over the last few years. It's picked up steam the last six months. So we are getting sort of month after month, we're seeing these numbers accelerate. And I think so many people have been waiting for this hot labor market to turn into better wages. And we're finally starting to see that. Let's talk about that 3.8% unemployment rate. Does that is that a sign that companies are having a tough time finding the skilled workers in such a tight labor market? Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. And I think we, you know it, there's more than just the unemployment rate to tell us that. Uh, there's a survey by the National Federation of Independent Businesses. So basically, they're a group of small businesses throughout the U.S. Uh, their single biggest problem, according to them, is finding skilled labor. Uh, so it's not just the unemployment rate telling you that. It's employers telling you that in surveys, that they're having trouble filling their their o- openings because they just can't find qualified workers. So the unemployment rate is telling us that. Businesses are telling us that. And that's you know ultimately why we actually expect that job growth is going to slow further mm-hmm. is because it's tougher and tougher to find the right sort of worker. And there are fewer of them out there. The participation rate in this report remained flat. Um, Usually when we start to see people come off the sidelines and and at least look for work, that moves the needle for the participation rate. What does a a flat rate mean to you? You know, month over month, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, This this is another number that month to month can, can move around a fair bit. This is one where you just need to look at what's happening over the last 12 months, really. And, you know, we've we've seen some drift higher in this number over the last six to 12 months. Um, So we are seeing people kind of slowly come in. We're also seeing fewer people leaving the workforce. That's a good sign. Um, Yeah, that's also a good sign. And frankly, could be because wages are finally starting to move higher. So why not stick around to actually reap the reward 
over time. How many uh, people are working part-time when they want to be working full-time? So that number is actually sort of back to 2007 levels. And in fact, as a share of everyone who has a job, we're well below the kind of the long-term historical averages. So, you know, people like to point out the, the, the level. There are, you know, X hundred thousand people working part-time, even though they like to be working full-time. But that's always the case in every labor market. The question is, how does this look relative to prior cycles? Are we in a better spot now than we were before? And again, we are way below sort of the long-term historical average in terms of the percentage of people who are working part-time as a share of everyone who's got a job out there. So I actually think that tells you that, you know, generally speaking, that we have far more full-time employment than we did before. And the fact that, you know, it's sort of the labor market overall has sort of put people in the position they want to be in for the most part. Mm -hmm. You know, that 20,000 number can be alarming to people. And I'd bet that a lot of media outlets are going to sort of talk that up and and, and cause concern where where perhaps there shouldn't be any. Because if you look at the revised numbers for December and January, they actually went up. And we're also talking about weather having perhaps skewed this latest report. Yeah. I mean, look, it was alarming to me, too. I initially thought they forgot a zero when when they pushed (laughs) that number out. We've been so used to the 200,000. Exactly. And exactly. so I thought something's got to be wrong here. But as you mentioned, the revisions were up for the last couple of months. Uh, you know, we did around 240,000 jobs in December. We did, you know, staggering 315 or so in, in January. So this does feel like a little bit of payback for that recent strength. Uh, but really, for the most part, I think underlying job gains are very, very solid. By the way, you know, one other thing I want to point out is the ISM services sector that came out uh, a couple of days ago. That number really sort of rebounded, uh, and and some of the data in there was at 10, 12-year highs. So a lot of other numbers here do not corroborate the 20,000 jobs right. number. Even housing starts were actually up yep. uh, pretty strongly, which was nice to see because yep. housing has sort of been a weak spot. Right, exactly. And look, one of the things is when job growth does slow down, especially you know something like towards 20,000 or zero, if that is really the case, if that's what we're seeing is, is really reflecting what's going on, Normally, what you tend to see is jobless claims tick higher as well. And we haven't seen that at all. They are at, at multi, multi-decade lows. So we're not. there's nothing to corroborate this plus 20,000. The weather, as you mentioned, probably dragged us lower. We saw construction jobs fall 30,000. We saw barely any growth in manufacturing. Um, so I think some of these sectors that are weather sensitive – showed you today that the weather played a role. We know almost 400,000 people didn't even go to work during the survey week because of the weather. Typically for February, the number's around 300. So you can see the weather effect in in that particular series and in these weather-sensitive sectors as well. So the takeaway really is don't put too much stock into this one month's report. We never try to take one data point at face value. That's why I think, you know, 185 over the last three months is really what you want to be focused on. Um, you know, it, I'll be singing a different tune if March is really weak as well. Mm-hmm. But I think for now, I, I would bet very much against that. And we know the Fed, they've said it many times before, are being patient and data dependent. So how do they interpret, do you think, go into the mind of the Fed for us? How do they interpret today's jobs report? Yeah, their, their decision to be patient is kind of looking better and better after you know <laughs> t- today's, today's number. Um, Again, they will focus on the trends, and you know my suspicion is that they'll continue to, to say that the labor market remains strong, that the unemployment rate is still quite low. Uh, they're not going to get spooked by a 20,000. Um, I think they'll look at it very much in the context of 
we've added 185 a month, and this looks like it's probably affected by the weather. So let's see how the next month comes out. But at the end of the day, I would have said, just as January was very strong over 300,000, this looks weak on the surface in February. We know the Fed's not really moving at all until probably mid-year. So what they really need to see is sort of a string of reports from now through June and probably beyond, um, not just in the labor market, but in manufacturing and services and trade that are saying, hey, the economy's passed all of the volatility we saw around the end of the year. And that's what they're going to be most focused on is what's the fallout from trade, from our past rate hikes. And it's going to be a whole batch of data that's got to sort of give push them in one direction or the other. But I think that hurdle's pretty high for another rate hike for the rest of the year. Now, we, we talked earlier about the, the wage component of this report being stronger than we've seen. Um, well, I would imagine that one month's data is not going to mean much for the Fed. If we see this, they'll become a trend. And in the, and in the jobs reports between now and June, we continue to see this steady rise in wages. Will that be enough to move their hand? I, I think it's it will only matter to them if they start to see the inflation numbers actually tick noticeably higher. And, you know, they've they've said, in fact, Chair Powell recently talked about the fact that wages are rising. And that's a really good thing. But it doesn't mean it has to lead to broad-based inflation in the economy. And they've been making this argument for a little while now. And I think that's actually quite interesting because it's so different than what the Fed has always preached, which is much faster wages means faster inflation means we probably have to hike rates. Basically, now they're saying, let's see whether or not higher wages lead to higher inflation. We don't necessarily think it will. There might be some point we're not sure we're there yet. So I think they might actually go back to what Janet Yellen prescribed a couple of years ago, which was, let's run a high-pressure economy. Let's let the unemployment rate fall further. Wages pick up higher. We only have to start to get worried if the outlook for inflation looks like it's moving noticeably above something like 2.5%. You know, Even though their target is 2, mm-hmm. they're happy to let it run a few tenths higher, given they've missed on the downside for so long. So I think it's really got to be 12 18 months out, does it look like we're going to be punching way above two and a half? If so, that'll get concerning. But wages moving higher without inflation, great for, I think, for the Fed, mm-hmm. great for uh, you the know markets. labor markets, yeah. great for workers, uh, not so great for profit margins. And that's the other side of that coin is that becomes a concern as the cycle goes on. If your you know, unit labor costs are rising, mm-hmm. but you can't raise prices, margins will get squeezed at some point down the road. Another way that some U.S. businesses could get squeezed is a a rise in the number or the threshold of um, people able to get overtime. We see that the Trump administration is trying to um, move a proposal on this. It would affect more than a million Americans, far fewer than would have been affected under the Obama administration. But would that have a material effect, do you think, on U.S. businesses? And might they even try to legally challenge this this rise in the threshold? Uh, They they might try to challenge it. You know, I I, I can't really speak to that. Uh, But... It will certainly matter a lot more, I think, for small businesses. And right. and you'll see small businesses probably come out, as the number of them did against minimum wage increases. But this is all kind of, to me, is part and parcel of that same movement to you know, raise the minimum wage, to sort of lower the in- income inequality figures we've seen sort of blow out over the last several years, and really several decades for the most part. Um, so I think for the small businesses, it certainly would have an effect. Uh, larger business companies, you know, who employ so many workers, I don't think it's really necessarily going to uh, make or break them. 
So this is uh, March is Women's History Month. And uh, I know that you took a, a deeper dive into the jobs report just to, to look at female participation in the labor market. And what did you find? Yeah, so it's Inter- International Women's Day. And, you know, one of the interesting stats that came out today was uh, the participation rate for women between the ages of 25 and 54. So it's prime age female workers. Over the last roughly two to three years, it has actually skyrocketed. So we've moved back to levels that we were at back in 2007 before the recession. So the recession pushed a lot of people out of the labor force, men and women. You know, men haven't really quite come back to the same sort of levels we were in 2007. But for, for women, 25 to 54, their number has gone up over two and a half percentage points hmm. in the last couple of years. Um, and that, you know, that is really what's kind of been driving the, the labor force participation rate up over the last year or so is more and more women re-entering the workforce. After um, having children, perhaps? It's it's a number of different factors. Some of them you know, said that they left for family responsibilities. Others were back in school. But we're seeing more of them come back into the workforce, which is really good for potential growth in the long run. Um, and it's good for the participation rate overall, and I think for the health of the economy in general. Sure, and possibly for upward mobility of women Absolutely. at a lot of companies, on company boards, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I want to talk uh, more about um, China. We touched on it a little bit earlier. But, um, you know, there are more signs that this um, that the trade tensions between us and, and China is really hurting China's economy. Uh, is that concern Uh, Does that concern you in terms of a global slowdown to the extent that it could push the U.S. into recession? Yeah, I so the global slowdown is is absolutely on the Fed's mind. It's probably you know global slowdown, the trade tensions. Those are all sort of uh, kind of the same story, really. And I think that's that's a big concern for the Fed. They've sort of pulled back and and on the rate hike path and talk about being patient because of the global slowdown. China is at the front of that, Um, but. Our direct hit from China slowing down isn't really to the real economy. So it's not to trade. It's really what happens in financial markets. So we saw earlier today uh, the big sell-off in China overnight in terms of their equity market. What happened here? Immediate That sort of really worked its way around the globe. You saw Europe push lower in terms of equities. You've seen you know, our markets, at least early this morning, were pushing lower. So it's really financial conditions. That's where the damage could potentially be done from a slowing China. They're doing what they can in terms of more stimulus to sort of you know, restart their economy or, or push it higher. But to me, at the end of the day, it's not about China slowing down in terms of what happens to the U.S. for, for GDP growth. It's about do we sell off inequities? Does that tighten financial conditions materially? And then does that sort of slow down the economy moving forward? We know the Fed is very concerned, and and they were, rightly so, in late December when conditions tightened. If China slows down to the point where we see something like we did in, say, late 15, early 16, where financial conditions tightened even more back then because of China than they have today, that is certainly going to keep the Fed on hold for for much, much longer. You know, there was some talk that perhaps Chairman Powell is too concerned, maybe fixated on the stock market when he shouldn't be. Is is the, should the Fed be looking to the stock market as an indicator as to what the next step is? You know, they'll they'll tell you they don't look at it. Uh, there was, you know, we used to joke around that he probably has one screen that it just has the S and P five hundred <laughs> on it uh, instead of a whole bunch of Bloomberg screens. You know, but um, we, you know, it, it looks to us like. Uh, 
they're certainly looking at it in terms of what it means for financial conditions. That's what the Fed will always tell you. Uh, whether it's credit spreads, whether it's stock market prices, whether it's you know the fixed income, all of it really feeds into how does this affect the outlook for the economy? How does it affect financial conditions? So, you know, people can talk about, and I understand the criticism because the Fed, quite frankly, in all the years I've been watching the Fed. I've never seen a turnaround like we saw in January. Right. You know, from late December to early Jan, it was a complete 180 on the Fed's part. And so I can understand the criticism. Uh, but again, it looks like a pretty good call right now, given what we are seeing overseas, mm-hmm. given what we saw in sort of the jobs number today. Um, it seems like they were they were right to be patient. And it's more than just the stock market. It is all of the cross currents that he has talked about and mentioned. And I think that's that's the big thing for them. It's yes, policy works its way through financial conditions. If the equity markets are tanking, that's going to tighten financial conditions. That's not good for the economy going forward. Right. They can't turn a blind eye to that. Exactly. And neither does President Trump. Um, yeah. True. <laughs> if you're a betting man, do we get any rate hikes at all in 2019? And if so, how many? I initially had two coming into this year. I have now cut to zero, um, mostly because at the end of the day, what what's it's not just the cross currents that are affecting that forecast. It's the fact that there's this debate now in the Fed. And I mean, remember that we came into this year with the Fed looking for two hikes this year. The debate now, and you can see this sort of two camps in the Fed. One camp says if we get, you know, two to two and a half percent GDP, we get inflation around two percent, um, and the unemployment rate ticks down a little bit lower, we see re- uh, no need for hikes this year. The other camp says, well, if we get all that, we might hike. I think maybe we can hike once later at some point. So forget about the two. The debate is about zero or one. Mm-hmm. Tellingly, we although we don't know where Chair Powell is in that, which of those camps he's in, he did say at the January press conference, I need to see an argument for rate increases. And to me, a big part of that is inflation. So that's that was Chair Powell. So that kind of tells you his lean you know, going forward the rest of the year. The way I look at it, in my forecast, I don't have inflation taking off. It's really kind of range-bound, about right around two. So again, let's go back to the high-pressure economy idea. Let's keep letting wages pick up. Let's let the unemployment rate drift lower. Let's see if we can pull people in from the sidelines. If we don't see inflation moving higher, do we really need to hike rates further? Of course, they don't want to be caught with no tools in the tool shed. Uh, if the economy does start to pull back in a meaningful way, would one rate hike this year make sense to give them that cushion? I mean, what's 25 basis points between friends? You know, I, <laughs> I just don't really see what what the point is of one hike. That that would one it be hike, symbolic, if nothing else. Uh, I, I think it's it, it may be symbolic, but I don't. The Fed's not setting policy for for that purpose. They're they're doing it. You're re- only really raising rates for one of two main reasons. One is to get ahead of what you see as a potential inflation overshoot, which might lead you to have to tighten a lot faster later on, which nobody wants to do or to sort of contain financial imbalances. And they feel more comfortable on that front. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's really the focus has got to be, do we see inflation over the next year or so overshooting our target by a lot? And, And they don't. And we, you know, listen to their rhetoric. It's about muted inflation pressures. That allows us to be patient. Until that changes, it's hard to see the need for a rate hike going forward. Oh, great conversation. Thanks so much for all of your insights. Omer Sharif, Senior U.S. Economist at Societe Generale. Thank, Thank you. you.
Thanks for listening to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. I'm Alexis Christophorus. Be sure to rate, review, and share this podcast. And remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode.